0: Welcome to heller Hurwitz Office Hours, a podcast featuring University of Minnesota economists and their research. In the podcast, we'll explore economic topics that impact our daily lives and discuss economic research aimed at improving our understanding of major societal challenges. We'll highlight how careful economic research can inform policy decisions. Art Rolnick has been a researcher and an advocate for government to make large investments in early childhood education for children living in families with low and unstable incomes. The research shows that by investing in quality early childhood education for at-risk children, individuals and society can reap extraordinarily high economic returns, benefits that are low-risk and long-lived. So, Art, how did you get involved in early childhood education?
1: Well, that's a good question, and as I've been speaking around the country on this issue for 20 years, uh, it's almost the first question I get. How does a guy who's at the Federal Reserve, who studies business cycles, inflation, unemployment, uh, how do I go from worrying about banks to worrying about babies? And it was really by accident. Uh, Going back about 20 years ago, there were a number of us that would get together for lunch, and we'd about once a month, and we'd invite a somebody with a passion for an issue. It could be an author, a media person, a professor, whatever. And at this particular luncheon, the executive director of an organization called Ready for K, Ready for Kindergarten, spoke about the importance. This was Todd Otis, spoke about the importance of investing in early childhood education. He pointed out that Minnesota supposedly the, um, the education state, uh, we have one of the largest achievement gaps, if not the largest achievement gaps in the country. Our poverty kids are ch- mostly children of color, start school way behind other kids, and that gap just continues. So uh, they were making a pitch that it's the right thing to do to invest in early childhood education. And I raised my hand, and I had a problem with that argument. I said to Todd, uh, you know, you can make a moral argument to policymakers for investing in K-12, or in higher education, or reducing pollution, or reducing crime. I said, policymakers have limited dollars, and uh, they have to prioritize. I said, I suspect, I said, I just, I suspect you can make an economic argument, and, and that would help you make your case a much better case than just the moral argument. The moral argument is fine, but it's just not going to fly. Well, that was my mistake, because the founders of that organization, <laughs> former Governor Al Cui and former Mayor Don Fraser and Todd Otis, they started calling me up. Okay, Rolnick, we agree. Come on the board. And how would you like to do the research for us? So. I tried to explain to them that my, uh, my expertise was pre-Civil War banking, <laughs> and that, but uh, hard to say no to these guys. And fortunately, uh, at the Federal Reserve, I had a, a very uh, encouraging board of directors who said, go for it, Rolnick. And I said, it'd only take a few months we could do this study. And I, 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 I rounded up my colleague, Rob Grunwald, and I said, look, Rob, I've committed us to doing this, but don't worry. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's some longitudinal studies out there that'll help us. We'll take an economic lens to them, and we'll see. Maybe we can make an economic argument. So that's how I got started, all by accident, no idea that what I was getting into.
0: Okay. Uh, I know my follow-up question is, but first, longitudinal study? Define?
1: A longitudinal study following uh, children for 30, 40 years, Uh, children who got a quality program and following it. So longitudinal just means it's over many years, not just a one-time at at a point-in-time study. This is studies that have been going on for 30, 40 years.
0: All right. Now give us what is the economic case for investing public dollars, taxpayer dollars in early childhood education?
1: Okay. So we looked at a study. There are several of these studies, but the, the most famous one is known as the Perry Preschool Study. Somebody had this bright idea, early 1960s, that maybe with our most vulnerable kids, maybe with our poverty kids, we're starting too late. Kindergarten is too late. Let's do a study. Let's compare children who get a quality program to children that don't. And they got the funding, and they got 123 families with young children. Half the families got a high quality early ed program. Master level teachers, world class curriculum and parent mentoring, home visits. So it was parent focused. And they and then there was an, the other group that was randomly divided up, the control group didn't get the program. And they followed these kids for about 15 years. That was the first study. And they wanted to see what was the difference. And it was kind of disappointing because the kids who were in the study, their IQ went up, but by the third grade, the IQ was almost back to where it was with the control group. So the 15-year study, people said, well, it looks like it didn't work. But Rob Grunwald and I, we had 30 years' worth of data, and we looked at outcomes. And the kids who were in the program compared to the kids that were not, less likely to need special ed, less likely to be retained in a grade, more likely to be literate by the sixth grade, graduate high school, get a job, pay taxes, stay off welfare, and the crime rate went down 50%. Holy smokes, that, that looks like a pretty pretty successful. So what we did is we, did, we asked the question that most business people and economists would, would ask, what was the return on that investment? And with this data which we had, we could calculate the annual rate of return on that investment. It was roughly The cost was a two-year program, $10,000 a year, so a $20,000 investment. I just mentioned all the benefits. We could put dollar values on all those benefits, including reduction in crime. And with that data, we were able – there's a formula which which we could back out the implied annual rate of return on that investment. I told Rob that if we could beat 6% annual rate of return – we could make a case because 6% roughly is the average return on the stock market post-World War II. So if I could get 8%, I could tell politicians that, you know, we could do better than the market. And most of that return, by the way, is public. There's clearly some private benefits to the child, but there are public benefits in terms of reduction in crime, lowering the cost of schools. So it was a, a strong public high public return. So, we put this data into the formula i rob you know programmed it took him about 3 4 weeks comes back to me 18% inflation adjusted return i said rob you made a mistake that number is too high it's just not so he came back a few times said, no, that's the number. I sent all this data to James Heckman at the University of Chicago, Nobel laureate, who was looking at the same time we're looking at these studies. I said, Jim, do me a favor. Please check this. I'm just not confident we did this right. About a month passed by. I get a very cryptic email from Jim, 18%. You got it right. So that's the argument. You show me a better return. You show me a better public return on anything, almost anything the government invests in, and and I'd be surprised. We made that argument 20 years ago, been all over the country on this, been about five or six different countries. Nobody, nobody has said they have a better return than this.
0: So, I mean, you know this. It seems like error you know, once a year, maybe twice a year, there would be a study, some sort of meta-analysis and says there really isn't much of an impact. It dissipates fairly quickly. These results are exaggerated.
1: So um, often they're referring to uh, Perry Preschool when they say by the third grade, the IQ was, was lower. And it did, in terms of IQ, it looked like it did fade. Part of that problem was what we learned from brain development is that critical parts of that brain are developed from prenatal to three. So for some of these kids, maybe even three is too late. But the other thing we found, and this is what Heckman found, he was able to get data on adults, these children when they became adults, 50, 60 years later. Less heart disease, less diabetes. There was no fade out on health. Then they find the children of the children. So we're talking intergenerational. We're much more likely to be successful in school than those children of the children that were not in the program. So we have Perry Preschool, but there's all kinds of now international evidence. This is 20 years later, and Heckman has done a very good job of identifying all the long-term effects, not just from the U.S. studies, but from international studies that are, it's kind of overwhelming, the evidence we have now. So yes, there'll be some fade out. We won't get all the kids. I'll still get you an 18% inflation-adjusted return.
0: So using a jargon term, how scalable is this idea?
1: I mean, uh, how, how, how broad can we take this? So I love that question. I'll tell you why. From this research, there are actually five challenges to do it right. So I'm gonna list the five challenges. One is you need to start early. As I said, the brain development tells us really we need to start at prenatal, is when we re- when I talk about early childhood education and development, I'm prenatal to five. Okay. So one, whatever we propose, better start early. You gotta have quality. It's gotta be a quality program. You're not gonna get these results if you just put take a child into a pre-K program and put them in front of a TV. It doesn't work. Target the investments to the low income families. I call these the high return children. Once you get middle class and above, very, very little public benefits, in fact, very little private benefits. It's the kids who start behind, these are poverty kids, that's where the benefits. Have to empower the parents. If you don't get the parents engaged, in, involved with, with the, the educating and get them engaged in the, in the educational system, not gonna work. And finally, your point, it's got to be scalable. If you're only doing this for 20% of the kids, you're failing. If, if a private company saw an 18% inflation-adjusted return, it would get funded overnight, fully funded. Okay, so what do you do? How do you take this research to reality? We have a very simple proposal. We call it the Minnesota Model for Early Education. Very simple. We provide a mentor starting prenatal, home visiting nurse, parent mentor, and a scholarship to a high-quality early ed that the parent can use from birth to five. So that program is scalable. You and I, I'm telling you, you and I could run a program like that statewide to do scholarships. It's a very straightforward, administratively, you don't need a lot of resources to bring this program to scale. It empowers the parent because the parent gets to choose the program. They can choose Head Start. They might want to choose McPhail. They have a program where they sing to the kids all day, and that's very successful. New Horizon has terrific programs. Uh, Montessori, St. Paul Schools, Head Start. There's lots of options, but the parent chooses what works for them. We, we The scholarships go to low-income families, so we target it. The scholarships have to be used at quality programs, and we start early. So that's the Minnesota model that we argued would work. Fortunately, we've got an organization way back when, back in 05, 06, led by the top CEOs in this state from from Target and Best Buy and Ecolab. They, they put together a $20 million nonprofit to test this out, to pilot it. We piloted it in St. Paul. Critics said it wouldn't work. We, we, hit, we hit it out of the park. Uh, we were so successful with that, it, it got national attention, and we ended up getting a Race to the Top grant to replicate what we did in St. Paul around the state. We took it up north. We took it to White Earth Reservation. We, um, we took it to Minneapolis, uh, and we started to get great results again. Our kids were starting school healthy and ready to learn with an engaged parent. We were so successful, 2015, both sides of the political aisle agreed that we should fund this program annually with state funding, and we have got $70 million back in 2015, 2016. We're now serving 15,000 poverty children today with this program. And just to let you know, it is working. And why do I say it's working? If you were to go to the Way to Grow w- website, they're an organization that helps recruit families. I think there's 400 families. They provide the home visiting, and they make sure they're on scholarships. The data, the most recent data, this is even after, this is during COVID-19. Our children are much more likely to be born full weight. In fact, all were born full weight, full term, not addicted. Our teenage moms did not get pregnant again. They went back to school and back to work. Our kids, something like 90, well over 90% of our children were starting school ready. Historically, poverty kids, it's 30% that start school ready and they're thriving in school so it's working today this is not just past studies that show it should work we've got it on the ground and it is working
0: so as an economist being involved in this area over the past 20 years what have you learned about the politics of making an economic argument of convincing people that this is a good thing to do
1: you better be in it for the long run Uh, we had headwinds. Uh, you sort of mentioned one of the headwinds. Some people thought, well, this stuff fades out. It's not worth the effort. And there was some evidence like that, but we had to spend a lot of time convincing people that, yes, we there is some fade out with some kids at some times, but overall, it's a very successful program, and we have the data to show it. That took time. People were concerned that, you know, are we going to take money from K through 12? Uh, K through 12 was, many argued, was underfunded in the state, and that would be a big cost. And we argued early childhood development should be thought of as economic development. This is our future workforce. This is increasing the the. the, the one of the best places in this country to work. This state is a great place to work because we have a highly educated workforce. So if you think about his economic development, that's the budget we should go after. Money that was going to build stadiums and to head, Horcorp headquarters, which we've argued has very little return. That's where we were going with that. So um, uh, it took time to make that case. It also took time just to get over the, you know, Government spends too much money we can't afford this, we, we had to make it clear, you cannot afford not to do this, you can afford not to do this, you can't, because it's such, if you don't do it, you're gonna be paying much more money in special ed, you're gonna be, your, your public school money goes up, in fact, we found some studies that show teacher turnover goes down when all these kids start school ready, because teachers can teach again. So it, it's, it's, it's cost savings, it's just a great investment, but we had to spend a lot of time explaining, yeah, it sounds expensive, it's actually cheap. It's actually inexpensive because the return is so high. So I learned that you better stay in it for the long run. Uh, and what really helped us to move the ball here was the business community. These uh, The business leaders in this community, um, the um, uh, Target, Best Buy, Ecolab, Charlie Weaver, who, rep- who heads the business partnership. They got on board right away, and they started to make the case that, yes, future workforce, let's do it right. Let's make this good investment.
0: So where are we nationally now? When you're looking around the country, what is the state of early childhood education? What's the state of investment?
1: Uh, It's doing quite, relatively speaking, it's doing quite well. Uh, I think there's something like 36 states are doing things like Minnesota, targeting the most at risk, starting early. I was most excited, though, about the Biden administration in Build Back Better. They pretty much had the Minnesota model. It was parent focused, it was targeted to the most at risk, it had to be quality. And uh, they had it. Unfortunately, you know, that, that bill never went anywhere, although I understand they're going to try to bring the early childhood stuff back. So I, I think that there's in virtually every state, there's an organization that's making the economic case for early childhood. Some people think they should go universal. We think that's a mistake. But other than that, most states look like They understand we've got to get to these kids, our most vulnerable kids, early. I think over the years, people like James Heckman, they've been very active in New Jersey, very active in Louisiana, very active in Illinois. There's wonderful organizations that are making this case. So I would say over the last 20 years, we've come a long way. And I'm pretty optimistic that uh, we eventually will get to fully fund this in Minnesota and around the country.
0: Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. Aronick is an economist at the University of Minnesota. Heller-Herwich Office Hours is a production of Matriarch Digital Media, hosted by me, Chris Farrell. Executive producer, Twilight Dang. Producer and editor, Beth K. Gibbs. Music by Bob Bradley. A special thanks to Heller-Herwich's project manager, Eva Witter. To learn more about the research we discussed today, visit HHEI.com at umn.edu and tell a friend or two about this podcast it helps